I can remember our distributors saying, well, what bourbons do you want to carry? And I'm like, well, if we're bourbons bistro. All of them? Yeah. <laughs> like, just bring what you got. This is Bourbon Pursuit, the official podcast of bourbon, bringing to you the best in news, reviews, and interviews with people making the bourbon whiskey industry happen. And I'm one of your hosts, Kenny Coleman. Our guest today, he carved a path that may seem unlikely, but in the end, it seems almost fitting. Jason Bronner joined us back on episode 57, where he talked about building the first bourbon-focused restaurant in Louisville, which you all now know as Bourbon's Bistro. That concept has stood the test of time. And now people from all over flock to his restaurant when they hit the bourbon trail. And one particular patron of his, Andrew Weebrink of Independent Stave Company, who you may remember back from episode 346, they began talking and came up with some proprietary barrels that will enhance a whiskey based on its original profile, whether it was nutty, sweet, or floral. And that's how Buzzard's Roost Bourbon was born. You will get to hear more about this journey and their process and how Jason is also moving into a brick-and-mortar location on West Main Street in the heart of downtown Louisville. With that, enjoy this week's episode. And now here's Fred Minnick with Above the Char. I'm Fred Minnick, and this is Above the Char. This week's idea comes from Daryl McDee, who writes me on fredminnick.com. As barrels increase with age, do distillers combine barrels and continue to age in one select barrel as the barrels decline in volume? opens the door to the thought of what that blending method would produce. Well, as a matter of fact, Daryl, that is used throughout the industry. There's a couple different methods. One, you got it some, you know, like barrels out there calling it the infinity barrel, where they're just putting a bunch of stuff in there and that they have a very particular technique. It has nothing to do with the volume decreasing with the angel share. That's just their style of what they're trying to do there. You also have a Solera system, in which case you have whiskey drip trickling in to the barrel, you know, similar to what they're doing in Sherry. But probably the best example of what you're particularly asking about is, is what they call topping off. And that's done in rum pretty extensively. The angel share or the leakage or whatever you want to call it in the Caribbean, where most of the rum is made, is a ton. Like, I mean, it's they'll lose like 20% like the first year on some of the islands. It's so, so hot and humid there. It just extracts the spirit out of the barrel. And what they do is they top it off so the momentum doesn't continue. So they'll end up pouring one barrel into another over time. And that's done pretty consistently and regularly in all of rum. And no one seems to think there's any issues with it. But it's not really happening in whiskey. And I would say like that because it's very labor intensive. You know, if you look at these barrels, they're very hard to crack into. Like there's a whole process of banging out the bung. And so anytime you are looking at fidgeting with one of those barrels, you're looking at increased labor costs, increased potential injury with moving the barrels around. You know, it's just kind of a headache. In fact, no one even really alternates their barrels anymore in storage. They just kind of throw them in the rickhouse and let them sit. But that's a great question, Daryl McDee. Thanks for hitting me up. If you'd like to be like Daryl McDee, hit me up on fredminnick.com. That's fredminnick.com. Hit the contact button. Ask me your question. If I like it, I'll read it on the air. Until next week, cheers. From their bar to yours, 
Chad and Sarah of the popular YouTube channel It's Bourbon Night bring you their favorite at-home old-fashioned mix with the new Elemental Elixir's Golden Hour Syrup. It's a custom-made syrup with notes of bold black tea, warm spices, and orange zest. All you need is your favorite whiskey and ice. No bitters needed. One bottle makes 16 drinks, so that's only $1 cocktail before you add your own whiskey. They can also be enjoyed in other cocktails or spirits, mocktails, coffee, tea, and anything you can think of. It's crafted locally in Lexington, Kentucky, and you can get your bottle now at whiskeyambitions.com. And they're off for another Gift 270-2020 Unicorn Raffle. Your $20 ticket gives you not one, but two chances to win from our lineup of 20 Woodford Reserve treasures, including the grand prize, the rarest unicorn yet, the Woodford Reserve Kentucky Derby 150 Baccarat Edition. Only 150 bottles were made and is just like the one the Derby winning owner receives. Quit horsing around and get your $20 tickets now at Give270.org. Charitable Gaming License ORG 0002703. Ed Bly and Rising Tide Spirits are back again with a new release of Old Stubborn Bourbon. And this release of Old Stubborn is a premium hand marriage of 10, 11, and 12-year cask drink, barely filtered pot still bourbon. It comes in at a staggering 123.8 proof. And the flavoring grain for this one, which the last one was weeded, but this time it's now rye. Rich, sweet, and bold with a long finish that's sure to be another eye-opener. You can order online at Sealbox or thebourbonconcierge.com. And you can even purchase in person at Revival Vintage Spirits and even now with very few select stores in Kentucky. You can get it now while you can, but be sure to do it because it's not going to last long. Welcome, everybody. Another episode of Bourbon Pursuit coming at you. Kenny and Ryan here today coming to you from BP headquarters. But we're going to be talking to a previous guest that you might have heard as a, a while ago is episode 57. An OG. OG. Long, long time. This has been a long time coming, to be honest with you, because we've had an opportunity to kind of see his story grow and flourish. Drink Dusty's in his establishment with him one point. I've crashed his office a time or two. <laughs> like, down at dinner, like, is Jason up there? See, see what Dusty's got up there. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of beam decanters I've drank with Jason. Yeah, like, what else can we dive into today? With episode 57, we were talking back with Jason with the establishment of Bourbon's Bistro and kind of how that was a staple of really where bourbon dining kind of came in and revolutionized Sort of yeah, Louisville was, at the time. Well ahead of his time. Yeah, way ahead of his time. You were like the first one to be like, this is going to be a destination, a meal, dining, bourbon selection, all that single barrel picks. You know, he was revolutionary in the city of Louisville. Mm-hmm. And he's survived, you know, it's it's stood the test of time. So it's awesome. He deserves a plaque somewhere. That's right. Across, across the city. Maybe a horse of his with his head downtown. Yeah, we can get one of those horses around town with Jason's head on it. <laughs> Look like a sphinx. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> well, you're going to have the, the or, signature goatee. Or what are they called? It's like half man, half horse. I don't know what you call them. <laughs> centaur. Centaur, yeah. <laughs> Jason, congratulations. You get your own centaur okay. in our... I'll take it. See, see where this goes. <laughs> it's free, I'll take it. <laughs> so you heard his voice. Today on the show, we have Jason Bronner coming back for the second time. As I mentioned, he was back on episode 57. He's still the owner of Bourbon's Bistro downtown, but he's also now the master blender for buzzards roost whiskey so jason welcome back hey thanks for having me once again great to be here all right so you looking forward to having that centaur 
Yeah, or something like I said, or racehorse with a head. I mean, like I said, why not? I'll well, take or it. Buzzard, I guess. Or half buzzard, half Jason. We'll put that somewhere. <laughs> a horse with well, kind of. They've got a horse with wings. Yeah, we'll figure that out. Yeah, yeah. a unicorn. That's what you're, a true unicorn. Come up with a new mascot. <laughs> yeah, there you go. We'll have a collaboration between our bourbon brands, and it's, it's going to be something like that. I'm. I love it. <laughs> See where this went in like three minutes. That's amazing how this the the We're idea is parting out. And, and it's early in the morning too. <laughs> I know sure we haven't is. even drank yet. <laughs> somewhat sober i think yeah so jason let's kind of talk kind of refresh people a little bit how you got into bourbon how you got into whiskey i know you've got a family history with national distillers and stuff like that too yeah well i had a couple of great aunts and uncles that grew up next door to me and i grew up over in the crescent hill neighborhood in clifton right down you know a couple of maybe a mile or two from National Distillery. So a couple of my great aunts and uncles worked there. It seemed that we just had whiskey around when we were kids, you know. My, we'd go to our great aunts and uncles or grandmothers or whatever, and there'd always be some old crow laying around, and they'd be playing cards or whatever, you know, and didn't want to get up from the table. So, you know, you became an instant bartender. It's like, go make me, you know, a highball. It's like, well, what's a highball? It's about three fingers of old crow and some... Canada Dry. You know, so I, it was kind of around my family. And I started out in the restaurant business when I was 21. I had a lot more time than I had money and opened up a little pizza place there in the Clifton neighborhood. Did that for... What was it called? It was called Clifton's Pizza. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> the one that was been there for... It was yeah. there for a while. It yeah. was there for 28 years. Yeah, I was about think. to say. That was great. Yeah. Yeah, I started it when we were 21, 1990. And then I was there for about 10 years, 11 years, sold it to my business partner at the time and began to think about my next restaurant. I wanted it more of a fine dining or just kind of an upscale thing. And I was sitting around drinking bourbon with one of my buddies and, you know, he's like, what are we going to call this? And I said, we're drinking bourbon. He said, let's call it bourbons. So the name stuck and we were going to do a bourbon steakhouse, but I didn't want to get kind of backed into a steakhouse because... You're either a good steakhouse or you're not. <laughs> and that, uh, that fine line, don't you? Yeah. So in, in doing the research, you know, a bistro came up with the ties that Louisville has with French, you know, Louis the Sixteenth and all that. It kind of fit in, especially between when you start talking about bourbon and Bourbon Street, New Orleans and the commerce that we had with, the, you know, down there. It made sense to do Southern kind of food. As far as New Orleans goes, you know, New Orleans has a lot of island influence, but I wanted to be north of that. Go all the way south to New Orleans, pick up some shrimp and grits, some oysters or whatever. Speaking my but, language but, there. Yeah. But not get too much into New Orleans where the island kind of influences so much. So more of a southern. So it's just not like gator on the menu. Is yeah, kind of exactly. Okay. Right. So more of a more of a southern, upscale southern restaurant. And we needed a backdrop for it. You know, I was going to call it Jason's Steakhouse. It's like, eh. So then the Bourbon Steakhouse came in and then we decided to do Bourbon's Bistro, which, like I said, a little French influence or whatever. And then we just kind of dug in from there. We looked all around the country for any kind of concepts that we could follow, but there wasn't anything to follow. So took a class from Mike Veach and learned a lot about the history of bourbon, and I just kept on going from there. Just the more I learned, the more I realized I didn't know, and just kept on going from there. We kind of took some hints from the wine industry. My wife and I took a couple of trips to Napa, and so I decided to do bourbon flights. And I can remember our distributors saying, well, what bourbons you want to carry? And I'm like, well, if we're Bourbon's Bistro, 
all, all of them. Yeah. <laughs> like just bring what you got. Right. So, and because, you know, like I said, there's some people, some off brands or whatever at the time. What if somebody comes in and, well, my uncle was JD Dant or something. Well, let's go ahead and get Dant. I don't want to be caught with my pants down. It's like, well, you're not bourbon's bistro. It's like, you don't have this. It's like, well, we've got that. So yeah, but I just wanted to, it wasn't about a huge list or anything. It was just about having what people wanted and what they were going to ask for. And also, you know, we were just out to educate the world about bourbon. Once again, I bring up the wine country stories. Like I said, I love to tell this story. It's my wife and I were talking to a young girl behind the bar, knew a ton about wine and I said I was in the bourbon industry and from Kentucky, and she acted like, "Why do you? I have all my teeth. <laughs> Why aren't you in overalls? You know, yeah, missing Why, a shoe or yeah, something. Your wife's not barefoot and pregnant. You know, so it was just uneducation about about what bourbon was and and what it what it is. I mean, with with you know, I think bourbon has so many much more flavors than wine, or just as many. So it, at that point, it was just like. You know, she's obviously educated about wine. She's just uneducated about bourbon as a spirit. And that kind of got under me. And I was like, the world needs to know more about it because bourbon at that time still was in kind of a low. And I was very proud of my state and proud of it and thought it was undermarketed. So one of our first T-shirts, like I said, says bringing bourbon back one sip at a time. And basically, we were just out to educate the world about bourbon. And this was around late 2000s? Early 2000s. Early 2000s. Early 2000s, okay. So, you know, I kind of shopped it and tried to get some financing and whatever and finally found a building and pulled the trigger and we were open in 2005. So there was a lot going into it before that. Probably really started working on it in 2000. So, uh, yeah, so so Veach was your Sherpa. Yeah. So when when did the dusty bug kind of bite you? You know, I don't really know when it actually bit me, where I started with it. It just, once I started reading about bourbon and all that, and I think I had some friends or whatever, like my aunt, she actually passed away and had some old bourbon. And I can remember my father and I drinking it, just cheers her. You know, she left it to us. I mean, there's a couple of bottles that was made at National Distillery, which was good stuff. And I was like whoa wait a minute <laughs> this doesn't this doesn't taste like what, yeah. I'm, what i'm ordering today exactly yeah. so really started to look into that as well and a lot of old people passing away and having estate sales and whatever and i'd start picking them up and really started getting into the the dusties you know i've got a lot of beam decanters now but back in the early days i would pass those up <laughs> yeah they're a dime a dozen right All which i you know kick myself now because there's some really good stuff in there but then you can find some bad ones as well. But do you remember your your biggest dusty score that you were super excited about? <laughs> I was down. If you're familiar with antique dealing, a friend of mine was Joe Lay. Yeah, I remember oh, yeah, Joe Lay. Yeah. That was a huge store that was down. Yeah. I, it's, is it? Did they just close their doors recently? Is yeah, that somebody yeah. just bought the building. They're gonna. Re, I don't know what they're gonna do, but I think it's Camposano. But yeah, they. If you're coming in from out of town, it's you'll right dri- there on sixty four or sixty five. Yeah. yeah, and you and you drive down. Is it Market? It's on Market, and you'll see this this huge building with a huge painting facade on the wall. And anyway, it was just this massive store full of antiques and just random stuff. He's one of the biggest antique dealers in the South, or whatever. I used to ride Harley's with him, and got to be pretty good friends with him. And I'd go down there and I say, "Hey, man, you got any bourbon? You know, or whatever." And he'd 
take me around. It's almost like if you zigzagging around the store in these little corners and upstairs. And it's like American Pickers or like some yeah. barn, like just digging through stuff. <laughs> so he had a big list with him. He would write down and he'd go through and he said, oh, I think I got something. Come follow me. And he went and <laughs> picked up a. A gallon of old granddad. Oh, wow. Oh, God. From probably, I think it was, you know, 68 or something. Was it one in the swings? No, it was just a big, just a big bottle. I mean, yeah. said, you want that? Yeah, I'll take that. How much? I'll, I'll give you 50, you know, 50 bucks. Oh, oh man. man. Yeah, I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I mean, so. That's a score. But he had all these decanters that he was pouring out. So I tried to. Because it, I guess at that time it was illegal. I mean, for them to sell to the general public, but we were good friends. So, yeah. uh, cash deal, <laughs> <laughs> keep it off the books. I'm not saying anything like that, but yeah, we made some deals. But so, yeah, that was probably one of my favorite finds, you know, that the story and everything about it. So, um, yeah, big gallon. And I ended up selling that to some friends of mine who were having a bachelor party and we partied all weekend. They kept, hammering me about it and hammering me about it. And I said, well, I'll sell it to you if I can drink it with you. There you go. Yeah. And so I sold it, they opened it, and we drank it. So so you're one of the first restaurants, too, that I could remember that had, like, started doing their own single barrel picks. Like, you could go and say, I want that bourbon's bistro pick, you know, or this or that. And talk us through those times. Like, how'd you get started with that? And maybe some of your favorite picks you've ever done. Yeah. Well, be on the lookout for. One of our, the actual first pick we did was Woodford. And we were probably one of the first people to ever pick a barrel of Woodford. And I had done my research and I said, well, I want it unchilled filtered. And they're like, eh, <laughs> we don't know if we're so back and forth, back and forth. And, and I was going to split some with, I think it was Gordo at the time. And they said I couldn't sell it retail if I did it unchilled filtered. I said, okay, well. This was the first barrel pick I'd ever done. Right. And so it was early on. It was 2005, You're 2006. You're being picky on the first one. They're like, this is going to be the worst customer. Well, at, the time, <laughs> at the time, you probably could have been. Nobody's buying barrels. Right. Plus, I mean, well, I'm looking at, do I have enough money to take sure. this inventory? We just opened, and here I am going in deep for just one deal. But it all worked out, and it was pretty cool. I did the unchill filtered, and we took a limo down, and... Almost got T-boned, and that's a that you know that's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> but then we did Four Roses, which was one of my favorite. We were the second pick overall at Four Roses, first on premise. So we were first restaurant bar to pick one down there. Do you remember and, what it was? Which recipe? You know, we've done so many now. Yeah. Probably can't. For a long time, we did just OESKs. You know, we always yeah, did them blind. No and, and I think one time I had Jim pull. I said, well, if we keep blinding these OESKs, I said, go ahead and just bring me out six OESKs and we'll pick the best of the best. <laughs> the good old days. Yeah, those were the good old days. So Now we're lucky to get a K in there. Now I'm lucky to get a barrel. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think uh, that's sort of the thing that we've all kind of found is that everybody's sort of getting squeezed on allocation and getting barrel picks and being able to still maintain that. So I guess, how does that shift with what you're trying to do over at Bourbons? If like, if you're getting squeezed out of stuff, maybe not getting the allocation that you once thought of, is this sort of where Buzzard's Roost come in? That said, I'll just start my own whiskey brand and then I'll, I'll start bringing that in. Well, not really. The whiskey brand didn't come because of that. But to tell you from the Bourbon side, the Bourbon's Bistro side of it, we've been getting squeezed for a long time on 
you know all the brands that are doing it. Because they, they're looking for big box volume, right? I mean, yeah, and yeah. well, I think they're opening other stores, you know, whatever it is, they're opening other markets and not really fulfilling the market that they opened when they were trying to open our market, if that makes sense. Yeah. I just don't think a lot of these big guys are taking care of their backyard like they uh, like they should or like they used to. But anyhow, that's neither here nor there. That's something. I mean, I think that's interesting that our, our listeners probably find captivating in regards of how the industry does work and, and what people should be doing. And I'm sure there's plenty of brands out there that listen to this show that they're really like, oh, okay, maybe we'll, we'll add bourbons well, back on the list over here. And, and I don't feel that I should get any more than anybody else. But back when you couldn't give George T. Stag away because nobody was drinking 140 proof bourbon, I was taking all I could get. And to be one of the first bars out there that are actually supporting all these brands and then not getting what I, I need to now for, I mean, this is my concept. I started with Bourbon's Bistro. We have bourbon from everybody. And then I get people that travel from, let's say the West Coast, Seattle or whatever, Texas. There's a lot of Weller. What do you mean you don't have Weller? I can't get yeah, it. It's true. It's like, isn't it just down the street? Yeah, it's just down the street, but you get more weller than I do, which doesn't really make much sense. They can do business how they want to do it, but I think the loyalty is kind of waning a little bit. So it is what it is, and, and we try to move on and, and do what we can. If we don't have that brand, we'll just sell another brand, Yeah, which is unfortunate because it's not what we want to do there. It's not our motto. That's not how we started I guess you could always look at it as an opportunity to introduce people to other brands because and, and it does it, it does feel like there's a lot of brands that are popping up more than ever now. And there's more good whiskey on the market now than there ever has been. And unfortunately, a lot of these bigger companies don't realize that. And that's what we're going to do. And, and, you know, Bourbon's Bistro is only one, one store. Are we going to make a worldwide impact? Probably not. But... The people we do impact, you never know. That's the situation yeah. we're in, and we've dealt with uh, adversity before, you know, especially in the restaurant business. There's tons of things we can talk about. Uh, <laughs> how being, long you got, buddy? <laughs> right, yeah. How, how many podcasts have you had? <laughs> yeah. We're going to run over on this one. But anyhow, not to beat a dead horse, but, you know, we'll move on just like we have before. Yeah. So I guess talk about the origins and when did you start laying down bourbon or trying to figure out, I want to start my own brand. How did that idea start culmination? Because I know, or should I say, I don't know, but I would probably think that running a restaurant is taking up a lot of time. And so you said, all right, well, let me go ahead and what other project can I have Put to take something up something else time? on my plate? Yeah. I like to stay busy. You know, like I say, idle time is the devil's workshop. Yeah, so, right. uh, I don't know. I, I mean, I guess it's doing all the barrel picks, you know, and kind of refining my palate. And a lot of people were enjoying the picks that we would get. And, you know, I was like, well, maybe I do have a knack for this. So you hear that story of Fitzgerald about picking the best of the best. And I was like, man, that's kind of what I've felt like I've been doing is picking the best of the best of these distilleries. So why wouldn't I try to start my own brand and, you know, just start making my own whiskey from scratch? I know what it takes to make good whiskey, I think. I think Money and time. Money, yeah. <laughs> I think we can put the components together. A lot of so. both. And that was just kind of the next progression of me. I mean, I don't like to stay still too long, but I think, you know, obviously well, for anybody, well, not anybody, but for me, that would be the ultimate goal is to have my own whiskey brand and, and to have my own distillery. And then that would be, you know, I just ride off into the sunset after that <laughs> one. I would finally maybe relax a little bit. But yeah, it just, it started from just tasting good whiskey. 
and also tasting some bad whiskey. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, God, this is terrible. <laughs> you know, I mean, whatever. It's yeah. yeah. We always said there's no bad whiskey, just better. It's just something that I want to do. Growing up being in the food industry and, and creating recipes, and I've kind of been tasting things my whole life, you know, as far as food and whiskey and whatever. So do you remember the first sort of phone call or person you had to contact to say, I think I want to do this. Where do I get started? Not really. I mean, it, it was, it all was kind of a whirlwind. A buddy of mine that works down at Independent Stave Company, he said, and I've got some cool ass barrels. If you all, you should taste some of these experiments. And, and I'm, I'm on the tasting board at Independent Stave Company. So, and just started asking questions. And then it's like, we tried to get a distillery started and we figured out pretty quickly that we couldn't raise 30 million bucks. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I remember having that conversation one night. I <laughs> rolled in and we were drinking and you're like, yeah, I was going to start a distillery. And then we realized how much it was going to cost. Right. And we got told no by really a, a ton of people, but I, I assembled a team to help me start a distillery. Our CEO at Buzzard's Roost, Judy Hollis-Jones, and she was a, a big, she retired from Wendy's International. She kind of wanted something to do with her time, and we had picked a couple of barrels before, so she was interested in whiskey. And I said, hey, do you think you'd be interested in getting in this whiskey brand with me? And she was like, yeah, sure. And, you know, what about raising money and building a team? And she was our main fundraiser, and she got us a CFO that he's actually in Britain. He lives, okay. <laughs> he lives over the pond. We, we do a lot of Zooms. Phil, he's a great dude. It was talk over whiskey, which that's where all good ideas come from anyway. And we just decided to put up some money and, 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 and do it. So when you were looking at available stocks out there, how'd you decide where to kind of start? Well, so that, once again, brings Andrew in down at Independent Stave Company. I saw, you know, what bourbons we could buy, and we decided on a label. I wanted an old label, but I didn't want to revive an old label. You don't want old Bronner sitting around? <laughs> yeah. <right>. Old Jason. <laughs> yeah. So I'd been talking with Andrew about these barrel experiments he'd been doing, and he said, y'all should do Rise. And I said, I hate rye. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're not rye bistro. <laughs> well, I mean, I just didn't really enjoy sitting around sipping on a rye. Ryes are made for cocktails for me, and I'm not a cocktail guy. So I was like, what? And, you know, he's like, here, try this, try this, try this, try this. And I was like, well, if you can come up with a barrel that make me like rye, I would dig that. Because I didn't want to come out on the market with a... Um, you know, by the time we did the numbers on some of the bourbon we could buy, you know, it'd be $150 bourbon. And to me, if you know anything about me, I'm in it for the long haul. I'm not wanting to be a splash in the pan or whatever. So we set up like a game plan and we decided to do some rise, but finish them in these proprietary barrels that I could develop with the help of independent stave company and try to make that into more of a long haul thing. You know, you, you you know, there's some 13 year old bourbon out there you could buy. A lot of that was out there for a while. And like I said, it, I didn't want to hit the market at $150 bottle. I think that's one of the things that a lot of people don't realize is that when you're paying a lot of money for H stock, 
especially on a source market, there's no way to get under $100 usually. Even that would probably be losing money at times. Yeah. And so I didn't see the longevity in that. Just sell one bottle of Derby or Christmas time. That's <laughs> yeah. stuck in the glass case the rest of the year. So we wanted to build a brand and we developed a plan to buy some younger ryes from MGP, finish them in our proprietary barrels, and then build it from there. And then if a distillery comes down the pipe, we'll work that in. But with these younger ryes and these proprietary barrels, you guys know that Every distiller you talk to, 70, 80% of the flavor comes from the barrel. Right. So what we've done is we started, instead of, you know, people talk about the yeast and the grain, and we all know MGP makes good whiskey. Yeah. No need to reinvent the wheel. Right. So we're looking into the barrels. Like, there's 70% of flavor we can impart on this barrel. And and I've learned more about wood over the last three years than anybody needs to know, really. <laughs> Eugenols and furfurols and glycols and... We're pulling the good stuff out and leaving the bad stuff behind. And and if you look at all these spider graphs and bar graphs and different charts and, and you understand the, the research behind it and the technology behind it, it's not cheating, which, I mean, a lot of people finish bourbon in whatever, whatever we can get it to market in. But we're not adding flavors. We're not adding a rum barrel or, or a curacao barrel or anything like that. This is barrel technology that Jim Beam didn't have back in the day and they're just now getting it you know so and they can't change their brand it's a level playing field for everybody at that point yeah what I can say about our barrels is we do a a real heavy toast and we do a number one char and that is it makes all the difference in the world I mean it it, and we can through time and temperature tell what and through chemical analysis tell what compounds we're pulling from the wood and so it's called basically a bourbon drinker's rye. Like I'm pulling, trying to pull these brown sugar flavors, these vanillas, these toffee flavors. We're trying to pull that out of the barrel through research, through chemical ionization, through time and temperature. And I can attest to that. I was at Porcini's the other night and they had one of your barrels over there. I was like, let me try it for after dinner drink. And I was like, this doesn't taste like a rye. It just was like a ton of creamy. It was so creamy, full of like almost little chocolate notes. It was like rounded off so well versus, you know, that 95 rye is typically like herbally and kind of pickly, spearminty and whatnot. Sure. It, uh, it was really nice. Yeah, that's one thing. That, and, and so I took three non-selling points for me which it's a 95.5 rye, which is a huge rye. Excuse me, it's three years old, and it's pretty high proof. So those are non-selling points. To me, going to buy a rye, I'd be like, that'll rip your head off, you know, a young rye at 105 proof. No, it was dangerously delicious. It was like, yeah. it was easy. And so then I turned them into selling points. Well, it is 95.5, and it is 105 proof, and it is three years old. So... It doesn't drink like any of those. So you're getting the MGP at three years and mm-hmm. then and then yeah. doing your... Some of our stuff is the peated barrels four years, and then our bourbon is four and six year blend. What kind of char? What char do they use at MGP? Did it, it's is, all... Uh, is three, it same three, three and four? Yes, yeah, three and four char. Gotcha. Three and four char. But we, the, you know, MGP has different barrels that they begin with. Sure. We kind of dance around that a little bit too. So when you show up to Independent Stave and they're like, we have all these, you know, he's like, come on down, see all these... How many options do they really have i mean that you could go with is there and how did you figure out your option if you're anything like me then you can't get enough about bourbon 
And that's why I'm a subscriber to Bourbon Plus magazine. Bourbon Plus is a quarterly publication that tells the stories from the heart of bourbon, the farmers who grow the grain, the distillers who labor over the process, and the people like you and me who raise their glasses to celebrate it all. Subscribe to Bourbon Plus magazine today at bourbonplus.com, that's P-L-U-S.com, and use code PURSUIT at checkout for $5 off your subscription. Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point-of-sale system you can trust, or is it uh, a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. And with Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in-line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. And you can get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash bourbon, all lowercase, and go to shopify.com slash bourbon to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash bourbon. So when you show up to Independence Dave and they're like, we have all these, you know, he's like, come on down, see all these, how many options do they really have? I mean, that you could go with is there? And how did you figure out? your option well through through andrew apparently no no not from, <laughs> no not from mgp we can get into his our different barrels in a second but the mgp side of it is we just look at a spreadsheet but we do samples so obviously samples come from this batch or this batch or where is this batch sitting what barrels it in what warehouse does it come from do we like it do we reject it and our due diligence. I mean, we've done tons and tons of samples from there. So it, we're not taking terrible whiskey and turning it into good whiskey. I think we're we're taking great whiskey or good whiskey and making it better. Yeah, you know? just amplifying it, it. Yeah, yeah. Just kind of putting it on steroids, really. So it's a it's a little bit of an arduous process, but we've got a a system that we're we're doing with MGP and seems to be working pretty well. And the more we can make our final product consistent, and that comes through when it hits our secondary barrels. So we have 12 proprietary secondary barrels that we'll put the juice in. Like, I know that this sample needs this barrel. Oh, so you have 12 different types of proprietary. 12 different types of barrels that we've developed, and we're still developing more. And nobody else can use these barrels. And Andrew did the, he did the 46 program. Like, I can't use any of their staves, but they can't use any of mine. (laughs) (laughs) And it's all different deal, but it's pretty cool. And they use staves, we use whole barrels. So it does get expensive at that point to where we're using brand new barrels. And it only sits in our barrels for four to six months at the most. So you think about a 10-year barrel or a 25-year barrel, we've used it six months. 
So we're looking for. You got a uh, lot of extra barrel furniture that you can make. Yeah, we're looking for because these are brand new barrels. Right. They still have a lot of flavor in them. So we're we're exploring outlets for that, and maybe at some point we may do an American whiskey to where you can use a barrel twice. But as of now, we're we're not. We're just doing straight rise and straight bourbons. So when you pick from like you said, you have a style from MGP, even though it's like ninety five five. How are you categorizing it to go to like uh, your different? Yeah, well, I think that's part of that's the <laughs> no. There's a secret so, sauce. You no. taking like well, just be generic <laughs> as possible. Like, so you're doing like these are fruity. They go in that one. This one's spicier. Yeah, that, that's you know an what I'm example. Saying? Sure, sure. We can taste the whiskeys at. So just tell me which number be. barrel you put the fruity <laughs> one. The number you. We don't get access to these barrels anyway. Right? So. <laughs> well, it really is. It, it it's what is what we feel that that batch needs. Like you know, some, you know, it'll pick up different flavors or if it has too much of something we'll try to balance it out so just the samples that we taste up from from mgp i'll say put half of it in these type of barrels put half of it in those type of barrels and then we'll blend that together and see where it comes so we're we're coming up with the more times we do it we're obviously narrowing our recipe basis and say like Sometimes you can even say, well, that doesn't even taste like it's been in our barrel. So let it, it, that needs to lay down a little bit longer because mm-hmm. I can tell the profile of our barrels that it puts on the MGP stuff. So we know that we're going to get, I can probably say, we, we know that we're going to get a little bit more vanilla out of barrel number seven. So that's my vanilla barrel. That's my spice barrel. Put half of it in that, half of it in that. I got you. Then we'll get that. We'll blend that, and it should be perfect. But you know, Brett <laughs> you know, says it should be correct. It's yeah. it, it, it's fun, and it's kind of like being a mad scientist. But it's it's great to be able to have that many options to to actually change the, so the do, flavor. Do you kind of know, like, I need out of the twelve, I need four vanillas and two this and one of that. That typically gives me what I'm looking for. Right, we're building recipes. Yeah, for small batch and of course single barrels or single barrels. We'll, we'll pull those out of anywhere, but they would typically come like like you know how uh, four roses. A lot of people OESKs, you know, they'd be into that or whatever's popular now that's kind of where we're seeing some of our barrels some of the single barrels are coming they have a certain flavor profile and those are more popular than say these other ones and so is the idea to try and be consistent with your batches so there are your rye whiskey you always taste the same kind of rye whiskey so you have this one kind of recipe or are you thinking we'll change it up on this batch maybe make it a little fruitier a little more mellow like how does how's that kind of go with you well there's certain flavor profiles that we're looking for on our you know like on our small batch we want that to try to be consistent our single barrels are going to be a little bit different we want that to vary quite a bit and then we do some experimental stuff anyway like our toasted you know, we've got a toasted barrel that, that it'll all go into our toasted barrels and hopefully that works its magic and, and that's our toasted. So there's not a separate toasted recipe. It just goes into this main toasted barrel that we do. Okay. So that's my next question. So does it go through your proprietary barrel and then to a toasted barrel? No. Because I know you did a, a toasted release at one point. Right. Too. But yeah. our toasted is just toasted. Okay. But it's heavily toasted. <laughs> it's proprietary toasted. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm... Like I said, that's the kind of the only thing that we don't talk about is how we do that. Right. So talk about, you know, if you can, how many barrels are going into your small batch? Like how many different ones? The first one was three. Three. Gotcha. (laughs) Okay. That's small. Now now I'd say it's probably about 40. A 40? Gotcha. 
What have you found at scaling, say, from three to 40? How What's the difference in blending your lessons you've learned going from a small number of barrels to bigger barrels or bigger amount of barrels? Well, we know the flavor profiles that we're trying to hit. And once again, it, it is a little bit of hit and miss. And when you're blending, it's like, well, we need a little bit more of this. We need a little bit more of that. And trying to get to an agreement that's, yeah, that's it. So it's just takes a little more time, I guess. And then, but once we get, like I said, we're clicking things off that we're going to get a recipe. And once we get the recipe, it should be, in general, it should be pretty consistent. Yeah, learning from each batch. Right. And like, yeah, and we're, we're tweaking as we go. We're tweaking as we go. How do you feel like you can you can scale this further? Are you tasting every individual barrel then saying, okay, it needs to go to this barrel, needs to go to this barrel? And you kind of have this, I want to say it's like a plinko board right it's like it's like all right it's like this one's gonna end up here this one's gonna end up over here we taste all of our single barrels we'll taste several runs out of a batch we'll taste several samples taken from different barrels out of a batch we'll say that's okay and then we'll send them to whatever barrels we're going to put them in so generally there may be one barrel in that batch that's bad or you know off. probably not bad but yeah just didn't, just it's didn't, off yeah. it's just off but it, it should be able to be taken care of because we know that our barrels are somewhat consistent and we know the flavor profile that it should get out of our barrels so it's all like a should thing it's like <laughs> this should happen. this should if this happens and this happens this should happen it's like a theory or whatever as ryan says the spreadsheet is directionally correct yeah, it's, yeah. exactly <laughs> so and then we just let it sit longer if it hasn't developed or if it's and usually we haven't had any go south on us we haven't had any that just totally failed for the most part it makes it better (laughs) (laughs) so with it going into a new chart oak container it doesn't have to be classified as finished in something right it can just be well i don't know the ttb's got what it's got to say it on the label or i'm not really sure how that's only if it's finished in something if it goes into a new chart oak barrel it doesn't have to say it because it's still bourbon at the end of the day sure yeah so that's well and it's rye in this case or rye or rye in this case or whatever it is still can be a straight rye or a straight bourbon yeah yeah so you talked about you're mostly dealing with mgp and stuff what's the future is it continue down the mgp path or you all got yeah we've we've moved all of our operations to bbc and we're trying to get i think we're on the charts that's right we're cousins yeah us and brad paisley yeah Yeah. right (laughs) i'll see him down there some i don't know (laughs) but yeah we're, we're getting on their new make run and then some exciting news for us is we're opening up a retail spot downtown and have actually bought a little doubler uh-oh. So what kind of science experiment you got going over here now? Yeah. So we're going to buy a first run and we're going to ship it down there, run it through our doubler. Then it could be Kentucky and put it in our proprietary barrels from the get go. So we will see some experiments on a small scale. Hopefully when we go to ramp up in a couple of years or I think we're actually on for next year. Are you concerned at all? I mean, because it's it's one of those things that today you've you've got a pretty good recipe of taking something that's an aged whiskey, two, three, four years, putting it into your proprietary barrel, six months, and now you're going to go and go all in on the proprietary barrel on day one. Has Independence Day figured out the research to say like, oh, no, you're going to end up with a similar profile. Are you expecting something that could be wildly different here in a few years after it goes in the proprietary barrel? They've done experiments, so they've been doing experimenting for 
six or seven years. So they've got, I think he, he got the data's done for you. He's got a ton of experiments all around the world, and, and some of them are already up to date, up to snuff on three and four years or whatever. So it should continue to do what we're doing, but it's going to be at a faster rate a little bit, just because I think our barrels are developed for really honestly, for new make, it would be about a four to six year. If you went to the eight year, I think with the number one char and in this heavy toast, you're already going to start getting into the wood. At a much younger age. At a much younger age. Yeah. So what we think we're doing is, if you think about a number four char being that big, number one chars like this, the liquid's getting through that char to the sugar layer that we've developed is hopefully like this. It's getting into that quicker. Yeah. And it's going to develop flavors much faster than a four char barrel. But is that a 10-year, you know, can you keep putting them back? And is that a 10-year bourbon? Probably not. I think it'd start to get a little past everything that we've developed to get into the woods and start building a lot of the tannins. Diminishing returns on it. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, I've always said you can't cheat time. Like, you got smaller barrels and Trace put them on boats and <laughs> Metallica's playing some music to it and, you know, whatever. I mean, it, it's all good stuff. It's all good stuff. I, we're just going to try it a different it's way. Yeah, we're going to try it a different way and see what that does. Well, it's exciting to have a new home for it located in here. Yeah, down on Main Street, we're going to do a retail shop. We're going to have a tasting bar. We're going to have the still set up, kind of some video tours, tell you about what we do with our barrels, how we're different. We're going to have a tasting lab. So that'll be another step you can do. And then we'll have a barrel pick, like a VIP barrel picking room. If you want to come in and pick a barrel, we'll we'll do that and, you know, put the whole dog and pony show out for you. Yeah, we'll so, take a pony. Yeah. Back to <laughs> we'll, that horse we'll thing. A, we'll take a blend. <laughs> do a tin barrel. Tin, tin barrel blend. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's, a, that's a big blend right there. And so we're looking forward to putting some new make in some of our barrels. And, and Is that new make at Bardstown, you said? You're well, it'll be, hopefully, we'll, we're going to run to 70-gallon still, so we'll do about a barrel a run. And I don't know, we haven't fired it up. We're still in the early processes of, of how much that'll do, but let's say a barrel a week. And then we'll ship it back down to BBC, I would imagine, unless we figure out a closet to put it in or something. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say. <laughs> yeah, you need your own warehouse. Fill up that Take one. the elevator up and just, just put those on the top floor, will you? Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> Let's really weight this thing down. <laughs> <laughs> so it's all interesting and, you know, it's all fun and, and it's all for the bourbon industry and the whiskey industry. You know, I've, I've changed my my cognomer or whatever, you, instead of saying bourbon all the time, I'm saying whiskey all the time now because... I don't know which I'm talking about. Because <laughs> you started building a brand on rye whiskey, huh? Yeah, all of a sudden. And I the hate lines rye. get blurry. <laughs> so. so when you look back and you think about this and, and coming from bourbons and now starting your own brand, do you felt like it was a, a natural progression or did it kind of take you by surprise a little bit? No, I think for me, it was totally natural. It was like, you know, what more can I do in this industry? You know, I think of, and I've been in the restaurant business forever. And that got me into the whiskey business, kind of. And then there was both. And then I started seeing the whiskey side of it, or the bourbon side of it, and hanging around these distilleries and knowing all the distillers and bottling lines and everything. And so, to me, it's been a natural progression that I've learned how to taste food and how to taste through the restaurant industry and learned how to be a decent, run the business and deal with employees and things. And then when we are doing the food bourbon thing, and then doing, like I said, all the distilleries and things, it was like, 
that's what I want to do. You know, when, it's a culmination of all that. Yeah, I think I think it's kind of my future experience, whether I knew it or not, was kind of building me up for what I'm doing now. You know, it's it was kind of weird like that. Look back and think about it. It's like no wonder I didn't know what I was going to do in college. Destiny. You know, <laughs> yeah. like, you know, now I know exactly Your what I want to do. Your guidance counselor didn't say that? <laughs> yeah. Like, Jason, I think you should start a pizza <laughs> and a restaurant. Then. <laughs> Little did I know that this is what I wanted to do, but uh, it took me, you know, 40, 50 years to figure out what I wanted to do. And this is what I want to do. I love everything about whiskey. I love sipping it, drinking about it, talking about it spreading the news and that's why you're here and i think that, yeah, yeah i think people can learn from that too is like you don't have to like always just say i'm gonna do one thing my whole life it's like you can always be growing and continually challenge yourself and the world will kind of unfold itself for you and lay it all out for you you know yeah i think so i mean i've always wanted to do the next thing you know just i get bored easy I do too. <laughs> maybe i've got add or something but oh uh, I, i'm diagnosed yeah <laughs> well, I'm, i have a big diagnosis but i just I don't want him to. I don't want to know. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> so, it's uh, part of the magic. Yeah. <laughs> Last question for you is coming from the bourbon restaurant business and to starting your own brand. What's been one thing that you found challenging or you didn't know about getting into actually starting a, your own whiskey business? Hmm. That's a tough question. I can give you some suggestions. You know, it, <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I don't know. I mean, me just starting my own businesses since I've been young, I've tried to keep my surprise, my surprises low. Like nothing really surprises me. It's like, oh yeah, okay. Yeah, I got to do that. I think that's a business. Owner. I mean, you get if jaded. you set the bar low, then it's it's fine. Or keep the bar high. Right? Well, I always yeah. tell Kenny, whatever can go wrong, it's going to go wrong. Yeah. You, so just accept it. It's one of those <laughs> things. And, and basically being in the restaurant business for so long, I mean, they're like, oh, do you work every day? It's like, yeah. I mean, I just put out fires, you know? It's like today I do plumbing. Yesterday I was doing electric and tomorrow I might be washing dishes or cooking on the line. It's just like you've got to be ready for everything in that business. And I think it set me up to be able to go and do this whiskey thing. It's like, okay. I mean, this is easy. Yeah. Well, it's not necessarily easy. No, no. You know, know. it's just like, what do we got to do next? What do I have to do to make this work? So it's, it's just accepting being in restaurant business. Like I said, especially after what we've had gone through with the COVID and the stuff at adversity, you've got to be able to take whatever they're throwing, you know, at you. So I really haven't had any surprises yet, knock on wood, yeah. <laughs> about this industry. And I'm sure that there's going to be some out there. But hopefully I've learned enough from my cohorts and, and my friends around me in the business that hopefully they, they won't hurt so bad when we, when that when stuff does come down the pipe like that, you know. Yeah. And it sounds like you've got a team that's kind of helped build that sort of insulation around it as well. Yeah. And it's just like being able to call on friends. I mean, I love Jim Rutledge to death. Be able to call him and say, hey, man, you got any answers with this? And I mean, even calling Veach on certain questions and different things. It's, it's you know, it, it's cool to be able to be able to call those people and ask questions. And God knows I've asked tons of questions, <laughs> yeah. you know, like they're like, God damn, Jason again. 
You got to pay it back one day now, yeah. Yeah, which I'm I'm all I'm all prepared to do. So uh, you're consulting. But, but nobody's going to call me deep. for a while. You know, <laughs> wait till I get some something under my belt before they start calling me. But yeah, it's just having having a, a network of friends to be able to help you through the questions you have and 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 the things you don't understand moving forward. Because they've all been there. And through it. Yeah. It's like I, why not learn from them? Right. Learn from their mistakes <laughs> instead of making your own yep. over and over and over again. <laughs> trip and trip. And trip, and trip. <laughs> well, Jason, it's been great to have you back on the show. So if people want to know more about Buzzard's Roost and make, where they can pick up bottles in certain states and all that sort of stuff, let people know. Yeah, they're going to. Uh, I know we've got a website. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's a good place to start. <laughs> so we have we have. Uh, I forgot to even ask. Buzzard's Roost, the name. Where OK, yeah, from? well, we were going to start a distillery. We had actually picked out a farm. And put some money to hold the farm, had it surveyed, everything. We we really did get close to the finish line. And then one of our major investors backed out and ended up buying something else, which we won't discuss. But So we left kind of holding the bag, lost a little bit of money. Had the farm, had it picked out, 184 acres, beautiful place. But the road bordering the farm was called Buzzard's Roost Road. It's out in Wadi, Kentucky. Cheapest gas in Kentucky. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, right off the highway. And I was going to Daytona. Exactly. And I was like, we got to call it Buzzard Roost. We just have to. And then, you know, we were going to get the farm and all that, and everything was going to be fine. But we lost the farm. <laughs> the buzzard still kept the name. I yeah. thought maybe when you lost the farm, the buzzards were flying over you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, they started following you. Yeah. After that. I was like, just circling. Yeah, yeah. Circling. <laughs> well, we're not dead in the water yet. So the name stuck. It was hard to convince my partners about that, but it was cool. Yeah, and, I like it. We, we like it just because I wanted an old sounding name again. Didn't want to revive an old brand. Yeah, I love the label. It's pretty. It's Yeah, thanks. It came out came out great. We we love it. Okay, cool. But before I interrupted you there, where can people find out more and pick up a bottle? Yeah. There we go. Go to Buzzard Roost website. We're on all the social media platforms, I'm pretty sure. And we're all over the state of Kentucky and the state of Massachusetts right now. We just got okayed for Ohio, Arkansas, New Mexico, and another one. <laughs> and another one. If you find it on the shelf, let us know. The mystery, <laughs> mystery state. The mystery state. It's a surprise for you other 45 <laughs> states out there. Things are moving fast. I'm trying to keep up. Got my finger on the pulse. It's all that, good. That's a joke. Got to focus on the blending. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've, you know, we're definitely going to stay focused on that. We really care what's in the bottle and hopefully moving forward. Oh, I got to mention real quick, if I can. Yeah. We won some San Francisco World Spirits Competition. Last year, we won a gold medal with our uh, single barrel. This year, we won a gold with our barrel strength, and we won a double gold with our toasted. Nice. Congratulations. So, yeah. So we really know that San Francisco is recognized by the industry, and so we're three for three and, and uh, really proud about that. So keep an eye out. Congratulations. Thank you. Well, once again, thank you. You should have wore those to the podcast. <laughs> yeah. We should have worn your medals. Look yeah. like Mr. T. Ride, <laughs> riding around your Bronco. <laughs> Take the top off. Yeah. Yeah, so make sure you follow Buzz at Drew's. Go check out the website. Go pick up a bottle as well and kind of let people know what you think. But make sure you also subscribe to Bourbon Pursuit wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on all the socials as well. To check out our website, you can sign up for our email list so you never miss an episode. But with that, cheers, everybody. We'll see you next week. <laughs>